Yeah, I call it pocketing the eight ball. And so now we were living off of savings for several months and trying to build our real estate back up to cover our expenses. And so that's what I, I, I used to, we used to talk about. I said, how do we pocket the eight ball? Like the eight ball is the last ball. We put that in the pocket. That's financial freedom. That's independence. That's the eight ball. Welcome to the True Wealth Investors Podcast, a show all about real estate investing to help increase your income, lifestyle, and impact. Your host for today's episode is Chad Harris, who likes to read books by Ernest Hemingway. Okay, welcome everybody. I am super excited today to uh, introduce everybody to Kurt and Elizabeth. And uh, Kurt and Elizabeth Phillips, I first met them, I first met you guys probably a year ago or first spoke with you about a year ago. Yeah. And I heard they were in private money and they were buy and hold investors. I thought, oh, that's interesting. That's pretty cool. And then I heard they homeschooled their kids and had coaching going on. I was like, wow, these are my people. This is awesome. So uh, they, they are involved in a ton of things and have great insights. And so I'm really excited to have them here today. I know you're going to benefit from this discussion. So without any more, welcome, Kurt and Elizabeth. Appreciate you. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Thanks for having us on. I'm excited. So fill me in. You know, I've spoken with you off and on for the past year or so and have kind of heard what you've been doing recently. But fill me in on the beginning. How'd you get started or where'd you, you first catch the bug for real estate? So uh, just the, Elizabeth and I, my wife, we're kind of a, a team investors. We do uh, do this together. Um, and that's been a real blessing and a real benefit. But also that comes along with uh, challenges too when you're building a business as a couple. But we started off together as well building this. Uh, it was, I think we'd been married a couple of years. And you know we didn't give it a ton of uh, thought or, you know, planning. Uh, our yeah. pastor, I, w- I was actually a youth pastor at the time, and uh, our pastor had said, you know, one of the things that, that my, my wife and I did is we bought a rental property, a duplex, and we lived in it and rented out one side, and that really helped supplement our income. And we heard this, and we thought, well, that seems like a pretty good idea. And, and I had, I was training for a marathon at the time, I a runner, and so I had watched this 100-year-old duplex for about six months, stand there vacant, you know, going in and out of contract, and every time I'd run past, you know, I'd look, and uh, so I read Robert Kiyosaki's Rich Dad, Poor Dad, my employer had that, and- I Didn't tell me about this book, by the way. Didn't tell, I didn't discover oh, this book for like 10 it on years. The down low, man. Uh-huh. It was like 10 years later before I discovered this. And I'm like, where's this been all my life? And she's like, oh yeah, that was so 10 years ago. <laughs> so I got my start in insurance and teaching at a small business college here in Fairfield County. So I taught at the business college and I had my insurance certifications and all of these things. I was working with real estate investors at the time a lot of them with their closings and coverages and claims. And I eventually moved up to be a claims adjuster. And so I was able to take that, that perspective and run some really rough numbers now, you know, looking back and say, Hey, I think we should do this. And so I'll let him tell some of the rest of the story because it's a fun one. Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, she it was funny because she, she ran the numbers on it. And like she ran the numbers on it. She's the one that did everything. 
And yeah. she's like, I think we should do this, but we didn't have the down payment. Well, I had a 71 Nova, 1971 Nova with a 350 nice. in it. Uh, yeah, I got it when I was 19. No business having a car like that at 19. But anyway, uh, <laughs> it, it seemed like such a good idea to me to buy this duplex that I sold that car for the down I payment. I didn't ask him to do that. Yeah, she didn't. She didn't push me to do that. Serious dedication. Yeah, I, I don't know why. I, did. I mean, looking back, I was like, it's amazing that I made that choice, but I'm glad I did uh, because we we sold that car. We ended up. She was out running and found a duplex, spotted one, and said, "Hey, I think I found one." One side was trashed and empty, and the other side had a, a tenant in it. And so we ended up buying that thing and moving into half of it and lived there for nine years. Temporarily. Uh, tem- temporarily for nine years. Uh, yeah. And, uh, and that's how we learned to, to be a landlord, uh, which was a challenge. I learned the hard way, made a lot of mistakes along the way. I imagine that's tough being a landlord with the tenant living next door. I don't know. I've never done that, but that just seems like it would have some inherent headaches. It's a special kind of misery. It does. (laughs) It is. It is. I mean, I have so many. I mean, I I know I let a guy go three months without paying rent, uh, you know, before we finally had him leave, which we didn't evict him or anything. He just finally left. (laughs) Yeah. which was amazing <laughs> otherwise he might still be there right <laughs> and uh but it was a blessing we had missionaries come in and stay in between tenants and we were yeah. able to have a three bedroom so we had three children um while we were still living there so we were able to raise our family and we always knew that if we wanted to go to the mission field we could because we could rent it out you know while we were gone so we had a lot of uh, flexibility even during mm. the 0809 we were still in our little duplex drugging yeah. along and all of our friends were losing their homes and they and we had no idea what was going on we didn't know what was going on no and wow. we had felt really i specifically had felt really a lot of pressure and people say, Oh, are you still living in that duplex right before the crash? Mm. And, um, you know, they would just roll their eyes kind of at me, you know, that we lived in a duplex. What's wrong with you? You know, do you really own it? You know, meanwhile, our tenant was covering the mortgage and, um, eventually the tax and the insurance too. So we were able to make a lot of financial decisions that some of our, our peers were not able to make those, those same choices. And he was a youth pastor and I came home from the corporate world to be with our children. Um, and so I was able to have that as an option because we had no housing costs basically. Yeah. Yeah. So it gave us a lot of options early on that we would never dreamed of having really. But we still didn't see it as a viable option. Uh, is it with, um, with, you know, people or you feeling like you had pressure from outsiders that you should move? Was that just because it was a double and they didn't understand why you'd live in that? Or was it investing in real estate? They had no idea the benefits both. or what your motivation was? Or- yeah, it, I, I think it was both, but more so that we were not uh, moving. We weren't quote unquote moving forward in our lives is what it looked like. Mm. Uh, we were raising our families. Uh, you know, we had, we, we raised three kids in that home. Um, we drove an old beat up vehicle and it was, that was by design that was on purpose. Uh, cause we didn't want to sink a lot of money into that, into a vehicle. Uh, and we lived in that duplex and honestly, even for, we lived there for almost nine years. It, it was even at year six and seven, we were starting to build up a nest egg and we're like, man, we just, we just want to leave because this was a great deal that we had going on. We had no expenses. 
and we weren't acquiring any debt at all. We had paid off all our college loans. And so uh, that it was hard to leave that. And, and that was where the critique was happening from those around us is they're building houses, they're doing all these things, and we just weren't. Well, I think that right there, if anybody ever wonders, is house hacking a good way to get started or a good idea? I mean, your story right there alone should be yes. It's a great way to get in. It's a great way to pay off debt and cover your housing expenses. I mean, that's amazing. Well, and we did eventually buy a single family home. We live in a log home, a little log home in the woods where now we have six children and they can be able to play and be outdoors. And that was what we wanted, but it did. It took us a long time before we found a single family dwelling, you know, to, to purchase. And that really, I think made a big difference for us that we had waited so long. We knew what we wanted and what would serve our family. Now it's still not huge. It's 1400 square feet for eight people. So it's not a sprawling, you know, estate or anything, but it, it did, it did help us to have those years in the duplex to know what we wanted. So was there ever, you know, was there self doubt in there or what did it feel like for you guys when you uh, hear the criticism from others or feel that pressure? Was there that internal self doubt? Are we doing the right thing? Will this work out or, or were you? Oh, I think we even tried to sell. Yeah, twice. Uh, (laughs) uh, It went in and out of contract (laughs) twice. We tried to get out of that thing. I mean, I mean, literally, I can remember at one point, uh, this was pretty later on, we had a, a couple living there and they had a dog and uh, we didn't mind, but the dog barked and it would drive us crazy because you hear it through the walls. And we'd say, hey, you need to clean up the, the you know, the poop in the backyard. And of course they didn't. And it was Christmas day. I don't know why I remember that. I never told you. It was Christmas day. And uh, like I said, this is near the end of our stay at this duplex. It was Christmas day and I wanted to take the kids outside to play in the snow because we just had, it just snowed. Well, there was dog poop all over the place. Now, I'd been watching it accumulate, but I didn't do anything about it. And so instead of confronting the tenant, I went and got a shovel and I cleaned it all up. And literally the whole time, I'm just, you know, wrecking, wrecking, wrecking. I mean, I'm just angry the whole time. And I'm telling myself, never again am I going to, I'm selling this thing. I don't ever want it, you know. And so uh, it's funny the things that you say and then what you end up doing. (laughs) God God has a sense of humor. God in his providence and has a sense of humor that we did try and sell it twice. Couldn't sell it. We rented it out. We knew we could rent it out, but um, we couldn't sell it for just random weird reasons. It wasn't even anything. And so we we resolved all the issues. Oh yeah. It wasn't anything. Any issue that the buyer had, we resolved it. We kept kept it. Yeah. We kept it and they still wouldn't buy it. So we bought two more. Yeah, so we said, well, if you can't beat them, join them. So we bought, That was it. We said heck with it. So we bought two more uh, side-by-side duplexes. Um, and one of them was a ranch style with garages in the middle. We had driven past it for 10 years. And I always said to Kurt, hey, if that one comes up, I want it. You know, it was on the way to his grandparents' house or whatever. And it's single floor plan for aging parents, that kind of stuff. I said, I want that duplex. And God heard me or, you know, and we got into contract and then there were problems and the owner would not repair the back embankment and it was $15,000. So we, 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 that's, that's a deal breaker for us. 
and we let the contract expire seven times that year that duplex went in and out of contract and the seller finally fixed the back embankment we bought it for ten thousand dollars yet less a year later and the residents literally cried when they saw that it was us they were so happy that we were the ones that had finally bought it and um full circle it's it's been a, a blessing to have that duplex so that was one of the ones that we bought and then we bought another side by side in the historic district right on the edge of the historic district because we couldn't sell the one we had so we bought two more. that's cool that's awesome i think it's a good reminder too you know knowing those tenants when you bought the property were so happy so often as investors we tend to talk about the numbers and we don't talk enough about the real people and the impact that it has you know we provide this great service and you know people's housing is a huge part of their life so it is a great way to serve others definitely so how were you financing the early deals or how were you able to get into those deals conventionally conventionally heck yeah i uh I ended up stepping down as a youth pastor and well, I got on part-time at UPS uh, while I was a youth pastor, supplementary income. UPS ended up hiring full-time. So I became a driver. I could tell you, I didn't pray about it. I didn't think about it. I stepped down from youth ministry purely for the money. Like <laughs> UPS paid well and I thought, well, we're broke and I need the money. So uh, so yeah. got on at UPS and, uh, and worked there for uh, 12 years, uh, mostly as a driver. And, uh, and it was a good income, never pictured doing that, slinging boxes for a living. Uh, but, uh, or, I mean, gently setting them on every board. But, yeah, and so, you know, we walked in at that point uh, with a good income. And the bank said, yes, Mr. and Mrs. Phillips, we, uh, you know, come on in, sit down. Can we rub your feet? Can we get you some grapes? Perhaps something to drink? How much money would you oh. like? You know, and, uh, <laughs> it was so easy. Uh, we just bought it. They financed all these deals uh, early on for us. So we had the down payment. We had that's the down payment. Deal. We had a good secure job. They were thrilled with us. So that's that's how we did it. Not, nothing more than that. We had no idea about creative financing, private money. Didn't have a clue. Didn't even know what that was. So as I was working at UPS, our whole goal was uh, to have some semblance of freedom. Like we wanted to be masters of our time. Um, and, and that was really the goal. I was sick of leaving uh, and being gone. So, you know, it was between seven or eight o'clock at night when I would average getting home. And I understand there's a lot of people that work a lot of late hours and, and some love what they do. And it's not that I hated what I did. I really didn't mind it. Um, but for me, it was kind of like wearing somebody else's shoes. It just didn't fit me. It didn't fit what I wanted in my life and what we wanted as a family. And so um, we realized that we needed to do something different uh, because if I kept doing what we were doing, just sitting on those rentals that we had working at UPS, I was going to retire from there and that's not what we wanted. And so um, we ended up uh, not really building our portfolio fast. We actually started a different business uh, that was more of a financial coaching uh, financial consulting and coaching. And yeah. that business started doing well. And we found that we could live on uh, what we got down to like 40%. It was of what about I made. 40, 45%. So I, I had been doing financial coaching on the side with my insurance reviews for a number of years, just through church and just as a community service kind of thing. And so we had an opportunity to work with a larger company 
as independent contractors and kind of put those skills to use. And uh, we were also practiced what we preached. Like we didn't have any credit card debt or anything like we, I, he calls me a professional tightwad, um, you know, cause I'm lovingly. lovingly. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, There's a quarter in that peanut butter jar, scrape it out. You know? <laughs> so, you know, we had run a few practice runs, you know, of how can we do this? So it was, it was, between 45 ish percent of our income that we knew we could live on and still be fine that's um, awesome while he was still at ups and we had six rentals Is that six right? units six units we only had six units six at the stores time. Wow. yeah yeah so uh so yeah we built that business the financial coaching and consulting and ended up uh it was doing well and uh, we had just kind of reached our limit where we said, you know what, let's just take the leap. Uh, and now it came, actually, we had a mentor, Fortune, I should back up. Along this whole journey, we've had mentors. Uh, I'm very willing to hire coaches, uh, like, because we've not done anything by ourselves alone. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had a lot of help along the way and a lot of guidance from people that were further along in the process. Um, and I really attribute any success that we've had to Absolutely. being very open and willing to seek out counsel from other people and to implement that into our lives. And we had great family support, like just yeah. all the way around. We have a great community and network and we're so grateful for our family's help. Through yes. All of this. So when I was even wondering about making the switch, uh, one of my mentors at the time literally just nailed me to the wall and said, listen, what are you waiting for? Uh, he said, your family's not going to start. I know you well enough to know that you're going to make it work and you're still going to make sure your kids have food on the table. And he was right because I was really just kind of messing with this thing and toying with it. And every year I'd say, no, not yet. No, not yet. You know, and uh, yeah. we have plenty in savings. I mean, we encourage that. Make sure you have an emergency fund if the bottom does fall out because it can. Bad things can wait to happen until after you leave your job, uh, which yeah. happened to us. But, yeah. uh, but he, said, just, he said, just do it. You're going to figure it out along the way. And I don't necessarily give that advice to everybody. We don't recommend this. this don't do this, this at home. This person knew me very, very well. And I had been, uh, he had been mentoring me for years. And so this had been building. And when he said that, that gave, that in my mind, I, could, I made the switch and said, okay, we're going to do this. So, so we did. We put in um, our notice uh, and I left UPS. And that was in November of 2016. 16. And I was um, pregnant. And she was pregnant, but we've not had to go back and get another job uh, since then. That was Man, it. Man, that's awesome. I think for so many people, that's it's just that step of like the leap of faith, knowing that I don't know whether that's a matter of determination that they're going to figure it out or um, what that is. But would, would you do you coach people to? make that leap or certain preparations and then take the leap. What do you recommend for other people? Cause so many people really want that, you know, and see that as a huge obstacle of leaving their, their nine to five. Yeah. It was extraordinarily challenging. Uh, I mean, I, I don't ever sugarcoat it. Um, after we left, when I say that sometimes bad things can happen, uh, they did. Uh, when we left that business that we were really proud of, yes. uh, completely uh, crumbled. It was a commission based, and they cut our commissions by 80% uh, the next month. Holy mackerel. The, the next month? And we had no idea it was happening. No idea. 
and was uh, testing your commitment from the start oh it was, was, was that the uh, christmas we had a new roof on the double on the duplex and both vehicles possibly i blocked that out i think so. <laughs> yeah i think it was both, both vehicles we had to roll shock. them down the hill to our mechanic neighbor yeah i mean just just oh, crazy wow. stuff and so yeah i mean i won't lie there were times in there that i would get online after she went to bed because i didn't want to discourage her um, I would get online and I would look at different job opportunities and see who was hiring and even think, okay, was leaving UPS the dumbest thing I've ever done in my life? Like, <laughs> it's just so dumb. Um, and so there were a lot of challenges, but that's when we made the switch to, to actually treat our real estate like a business uh, and mm. to really build it. Uh, was at that time when we realized we knew how to do it. We knew how to, you know, we'd figured out how to run numbers on the deals. We had figured out how to place tenants and things like that, but we never really treated it like a business. And so uh, that would be, as far as somebody that's, you know, wanting to make the leap, I wouldn't necessarily say do what we did. Um, it was just that worked for us because we had been in preparation for that for years. I mean, we had mentally, financially been preparing for that, for, I mean, for maybe 10 years. Um, so it took a long time. It wasn't something we just did. And so I guess that would be my word of caution that uh, somebody even hearing this say, well, you know, Kurt and Elizabeth, the bottom fell out for them and look, they figured it out. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we had a lot of preparation. I mean, and we had we, a, lot and, of, a lot of help along the way. A lot of help, a lot of mentorship. So, and we do. We recommend, That's one of the things we do coach because Kurt, as a real estate investor, brings that side to our coaching of our private clients. And then my background as a insurance and tax strategy and the professional uh, bookkeeping side of the finances, um, professional financial coach in all of those areas, between those two, that's what we do is map out and accelerate for our clients to be able to have options. Some of them want to leave, some of them have left, and some of them are in the process of mapping that out in different stages of their particular journey. But being able to have honest numbers, uh, tracking is the key to get you where you wanna be. I always mm -hmm. say that little rhyme, you know, but it really is true both on the personal and business side. There has to be effective tracking to be able yeah. to have numbers that are honest. Kurt always says, numbers don't lie. Numbers never lie. Mm. Got to know where every, where every penny is doing at all times. And it should be working. It yeah. should be working for you and not against you. And there has to be unity in the household. And, and this is something we had to work on and we still continue to work on is being on the same page because we obviously bring different money views to the table. And that's something we work with our clients on is, both spouses or all, you know, adults in the household, even adult children or aging parents, everybody has to be on the same page towards a common vision for mm. them to be able to take place. And we involved our children at age appropriate ways to be involved in this is what we are doing as a family. This is a family step because we, we needed our children to be on board with that. And a lot of people say, well, how can I do this? You know, I have X number of children. Most of the time we have more children than that. You know, we get with six or whatever. But, um, you know, everybody has a different obstacle. But instead of looking at, at children or family as a liability, we teach our clients to look at them as your greatest asset, 
that is your team. They are the people that you can rally around this vision. And we didn't do this in spite of our kids. We did it with our children. And in a lot of ways, because of them, uh, they are a very integral part of our business. That's huge. I mean, because that, that's got to be the motivation and your purpose is providing and creating a lifestyle. And um, I know it's huge, too, to have that outside perspective looking in because it is such an emotional thing when you're in that process. Just having the outside perspective of somebody to show insights into it, I mean, that would have helped me exponentially. Because, you know, when my job ended, I didn't just suddenly had no income and had to figure it out. And it was just pure determination, you know, to figure out how to make that work. And people, when they hear my story, a lot of times they say, that's awesome. That's what I want to do. And I think, I don't know that you do. It wasn't that enjoyable along the way. (laughs) I don't know that I want to do it again. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. You know, I can't. I can't count the number of days I would come home one day and I'm like, Kara, this is awesome. It's all going to work out great. And the very next day, I'm done. We're selling it all. (laughs) You know, she endured that, you know, that uh, roller coaster ride, but I'm not sure everybody wants to. So huge benefit just to have somebody from the outside because I would have, it would have changed everything for me if I had somebody who said, just look at the numbers. It's working you're growing, you're on pace to get there, you know, because for me in the trenches, it changed every day, depending on whether it was a headache day or a blessing day. Totally. I think too many people discount coaching almost as if like that's a last resort, or if I can't figure it out on my own, then I'll do that. When in reality, coaching is a great way to make a leap forward and just benefit from other people's experience. I mean, yeah. it's a great opportunity. We wouldn't have, we wouldn't have made it. I don't think. I mean, I'd like to think that we would have, right? But we certainly wouldn't have been as, um, as quick in our real estate journey had we not hired a coach specifically for real estate. Uh, I mean, and that's one of the reasons that I decided to coach. Just, I mean, it's kind of something I do, and it's, it's. We enjoy it. We enjoy we do it. it. Like, we do it. I love. I want to see other. It. Yeah, I want to see other people win. Like yeah. that's just it. Because when we hired a coach for real estate. Like I said, I didn't know other ways to do deals. I didn't know. I mean, I, I was I was plugged in. Uh, I didn't know there were real estate meetups early on, and then I found that out. So then I went to every single real estate meetup I could find. Uh, you know, we invested in courses, and we were trying to put this all together. But what our coach did is helped us to put together some of these deals. I mean, there were some deals that we were present, uh, presented with, and I didn't know what to do with them. Yeah. I just didn't. I I, I mean. Just cognitively, I couldn't figure out what to do because I only had so much money and it was running out quickly. And yet I have this deal, yet I'm not making enough cash flow to supplement what I need. Yeah. So it was like this, it was you, you know exactly what I'm talking about because yeah. you went through Completely. the exact same thing. It's yeah. this crazy puzzle, jigsaw puzzle that you're trying to put together all at the same time. Like you can't just stop and put one piece in. You're putting four or five in at the same time and then stepping back and saying, Whew, well, that doesn't look so good, you know. It's like yeah. you know, trying to figure yeah. it out. Right again. Yeah. Well, because and that time period, so Kurt left in 2016. I had our sixth baby that spring after he had left. 
And that year we decided to really hit our real estate and we did 17 turns or acquisitions in 15 months with a newborn wow. and which is a lot for us homeschooling the other children yeah so 17 turns or acquisitions or i think there was a wholesale a couple masterly i mean just all sorts of stuff mixed in in 15 months time That's now awesome. and we slowed down to you know stabilize and re-up everything um what do you call it I wouldn't say slow down. I say it's harder to find the deals. <laughs> I yeah. know. It's yeah. just challenge. It's just more challenging. It's just a new, of course, that's, I think about to change, but you know, we went on a stretch there where deals were a little harder to come by. Not that they weren't there. You just had to work right. a little harder for them. Uh, so fewer I, and farther between, but yeah. Yeah. So that, that did slow down a little bit, but. So ah. 17 and 15 months. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome. There's not too many. Uh, investors who do that much in period, much less right out of the gate, you know, when you're first starting full time. So what would you say were some kind of keys to that? You know, I'm, I really like scalability and that's what I always wrestle with is how can you grow fast? How can you um, really expand your holdings? So what were some keys for you guys in scaling your business? Um, yeah, go ahead. I was gonna say, uh, really thinking in terms of systems and taking and translating what we had done in the financial world and translating it into real estate. And also uh, having a tax and insurance strategy, that was huge, that accelerated us very quickly when we switched our insurance to uh, a, a group that would, um, company that would work with our type of in of uh, real estate investing mm. that accelerated having a good tax strategy a relationship with cpa um all of those things but also one of the big components for for my part of the business and kurt will have his part but was definitely the marketing portion i took a, a master's level course and worked with um online technology, different ways of marketing, and being able to set up our business for automation. And so there are some things that we automated and some things we did old school, but we knew we had to know what we were doing before we automated it. So we didn't automate everything out of the gate. We hmm. learned the systems and each step in that system before we automated it. So we do have a mobile business. We can go to Florida or wherever and run our business completely remotely. And it's actually served us very well in this season of being under stay-at-home orders. So we really haven't had to change anything because we were already doing innovative online type of lease signings, showings, marketing, all of that had already been done and automated because I wanted to be home with my kids. I didn't yeah. be at the office every day. So that helped us to go fast, that commitment, and also building a, a really strong team. But I'll let, I'll let Kurt talk about his side of what made us go fast. Yeah, uh, I mean, it was discovering private money as far as, mm. as, far as the acquisition side. I mean, we, we were able to go fast because we partnered with private money lenders, uh, learned the skill of running numbers, uh, as far as numbers that will work with a private loan and then going back and, uh, you know, refinancing that out and making sure that all of that worked out. 
uh, which has a, a couple more moving parts than obviously just purchasing conventionally. Uh, that's yeah. pretty simple. You just put in the rate and put in, yeah, I mean, and off you go. But um, it takes a little bit more with a private money loan if you plan on, you know, uh, paying them back in a 12 months or whatever span. But uh, that was, for as far as acquisitions, that was, that was big for us. And um, and systematizing that even, um, yeah. that, uh, you know, I know I have a step-by-step, we use Trello, uh, a ton and I have a step-by-step on every, so as soon as we go into contract, I just go to step one on my Trello board and I walk that whole thing out, uh, for, uh, executing a private money loan to fund the deal. So mm-hmm. that's, that's been big on the acquisition side. So with your private money deals, are you able to do those deals? Um, are you doing like a burr strategy where you're buying it with short-term private money and refinancing it later? Is that the, yeah, exactly. It's 12, 12 month loans is what we do. So short term, but yeah, not too short. gives me some time. And are you able to get all the money back out when you refinance, you know, you know, historically with your deals? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's some that do and some that don't, you know, there's some that, that doesn't quite play out exactly how I wanted them to. Um, but that's okay. Because even at the end of the day, when uh, I've gone back and looked at the numbers, I have a way less money in it than if I would have put 20% down, uh, yeah. you know, way less. Uh, but then there's, uh, there's some that we walk away with money closing uh, where we're able to refinance it out and actually get money back to uh, not just, so we, we fund our, our private money, we, we give him his money back, right? Our private lender. And then we put rehab money into it. And so we get that back. And then on really nice deals, we get even a payday beyond that. We get all that money back and then we walk away with um, whatever from that. That's that's the goal. Um, that's awesome. it, yeah. yeah. Um, but as, as little in it as possible. That's, you know, at the end of the day, that's a base hit. If you yeah. can go in and you only have, you know, for me, it's if I have just a, you know, three to 5% you know, left in it, for example, I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. I mean, that, that's a pretty good deal because I'll make that up pretty quick. Well, I think so many investors, when they're l- trying to figure out how to do it and how to grow their business, that's the limiting factor they see is, well, I only have this much money. That's it. So I can only fund so many deals. Yes. When it's more a matter of learning how to fund deals and how to structure deals. Because when you learn the private money or the bird technique and you learn how to pull your money back out, you don't need that much money to recycle through multiple deals. Yeah, I call it pocketing the eight ball. Uh, when I was, when we were really chasing down our freedom and this is the second time, like, you know, I say we got, I got out of my job, but then it was like, we restarted the clock. Cause all of a sudden when our other company basically, mm. you know, bottomed out that we went back again. And so now we were living off of savings for several months and mm. trying to build our real estate back up to cover our expenses. And so that's what I, I, I used to, we used to talk about, I said, how do we pocket the eight ball? Like the eight ball is the last ball. We put that in the pocket. That's financial freedom. That's independence. That's the eight ball. But a good pool player, a good billiard player, he's going to hit the one. I mean, he's going to have every shot. He's going to finish that cue ball in a position to pocket the next ball and pocket the next one and pocket the next one. And so I knew there was only so much money and that money was going down fast. Like I was watching it burning. And, and so I knew I didn't have enough money to pocket the eight ball. I knew I didn't. I mean, we, we would look at the finances and she's kind of looking at me like, all right, big dog, like, you know, what are you going to do here? You know, I go, no, pressure. Gonna, no, pressure. <laughs> no pressure, but her security was gone. Like, yeah. you know, and like, 
that's like the biggest thing for your wives, right? They need to feel secure. And her security was like, she was on thin ice right there. That's not totally, totally (laughs) accurate. I was like, they, you know, I know that God is going to make this possible. We had so many things happen that in that moment that shouldn't have happened that Mm. really were miracles like we really can't say that it's anything that we did there are certain things that came about uh package deals of like 10 units that were brought to us off market um and we were Mm. able to take them down Uh, there were things that happened where there should have been problems and the problems dissipated um you know problems with residents or problems with properties or things things that should have been a real serious game changer that were resolved quickly and easily and you know there's just so much that happened that we can't even quantify and put a formula on we really feel like that was the hand of god it really Mm. was so so yes i was sweating it and yes i was praying pretty hard um but you know we are we're very acutely aware that uh, what we're doing in our community is something very important to us. Uh, we purchase properties that are a burden or an eyesore or a real scourge on a community of on a neighborhood. And um, do you want to talk just a little bit about that as we kind of wrap up just your vision of that? Because I know that's really important to, to what we do. Sure. Our strategy has shifted since then. I mean, honestly, back then it was just about making money. <laughs> like, it, I mean, there was a, you know, there was no doubt that we had uh, guidance and whatnot. But as far as a mission, you know, my mission was we have starving children uh, in the Phillips household that need food. That was my mission. Like, there's no way around that first stage, right? Where you have to provide. Yeah. yeah. And they weren't starving. I'm just teasing, but, but still I, we had to put food on the table. That, that yeah. was, that was it. And so that's what we built before. But, um, but yeah, since then uh, it's shifted and uh, you know, we live in a community of about 43,000 people and it's a tight knit community. It's, it's relatively small. Uh, I'm born and raised here, went to college elsewhere, but uh, otherwise I've been here most of my life. And um, there's a lot of issues that are in the community with, with drugs and homelessness and things like that uh, that are really taking its toll. And, uh, and that's, that's our heart now. And so we go in and, um, you know, it's, it's exciting. We're closing on a triplex on Friday, uh, that is in a nice, nicer neighborhood, uh, nicer for Lancaster, right? It's not, I mean, it's in a a middle of the road, like a a middle-class neighborhood. Um, but it, it literally has uh, one family that has lived in their home for, I don't know, 30 years that that have been, uh, wanting to sell because of this property. We've got another one Mm. that's an older couple that hasn't come out of their house. Uh, in certain times because fearful. of fearful because wow. of the drug activity from this house. And then we have another house that she invited us in when we told her we were thinking about buying it. And she invited us in, had us sit on her couch, told us everything. I mean, about the neighborhood, about the neighborhood and about everybody this that house. she's known forever, you know, and, uh, and it was just really cool because that's what we do now. We go in and we reclaim these things and we make them, uh, make them a light again. I mean, we make them, what they were designed to be by bringing quality residents. Uh, we, we fixed the place up. It's not going to be a Taj Mahal. Obviously we are investors. We're not going to get crazy on this thing, but it's going to be a nice place for people to live. And that's, and a nice place that the neighborhood can be proud of. And, uh, and that's part of our mission of just taking back territory and not letting it just, uh, go to maybe it is the drug dealers or maybe there's squat they were did have squatters and drug dealers in this particular unit and and that's what that's where we go now those are the properties that we get uh, we don't have a slum 
in Lancaster. Uh, there is no slum. It's uh, not the same as some areas. No, no, yeah. it's a very different community. We're surrounded by farmland, uh, you know, so we're very mm -hmm. blue collar, uh, very blue collar community. Uh, yeah, so uh, that that's, you know, so people feel it in our community. They feel it because they've lived here forever. And they, they walk, they, they, when we drive down the road, I, I never saw a homeless person until I visited Seattle, Washington for the first time when I was 16 years old. Never seen mm -hmm. homeless But now here I am in my hometown and I don't ever go out without seeing homeless people on the corner uh, begging, mm -hmm. uh, ever. I mean, they're always, and so things have changed. And so we're uh, really just trying to take back the community and um, help That's where qualities. we can quality housing. Yeah, yeah help yeah. what we can. We have a heart for the homeless, but we also know that there's, there's some accountability and responsibility there that uh, we want to we want to help out with. So That's awesome. I really respect that. I know so often, you know, people who aren't involved in real estate investing at all sometimes have this negative view of a landlord or a property owner like they're trying to take advantage of the people in the house or take, you know, and I don't think that's the case. That's obviously not the case with you and most people that I know. You know, it's this great opportunity where we can provide good housing that improves the neighborhood, it improves the family lives of the people that live there, improves the lives of the neighbors. Um, and that's awesome. And I mean, I don't even know how you would measure that impact if right. you have you know, houses all over your city and they're impacting the neighborhood and families all over. That's an amazing impact. Yeah, that's that's the goal. I mean, that, that's the goal. And uh, yeah, we'll see where it all leads, but it's exciting. Yeah. It's to, to have a purpose and have impact. So where do you see yourself going from here? Do you have goals or visions you're working towards moving forward? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, that's that's a great question. I know you and I even had a conversation about that. I know you're super goal oriented and yeah. uh, I, I love it. Um, so yeah, for us, it's, um, it's a cash flow goal, uh, there for the longest time it was a unit goal. Um, mm. but I found that just, I don't know if it's my personality or what, when I put a unit goal on myself and I just focus on how many units I can get, how many properties I can buy. And if that means buying a marginal deal, it's like, I got a goal, like <laughs> I got to hit it. Like this is not okay. And, uh, so, uh, Elizabeth and I sat down and we set some cash flow goals for our family. Um, that, uh, you know, we have a, a, a goal just in big pictures wise that, you know, even in light of everything that's going on right now, uh, we want to be, uh, as bulletproof as we possibly can. That's the phrase that we use. We want to be bulletproof. Uh, we want our portfolio. We want our business structure to be such that when something like this happens, you can't prepare for everything, but when something like this happens, we want to make sure that we're okay. Our family is okay. And that we can even lend help where we can. Um, and so that's really, uh, when it comes to our goal, we want to continue to expand, continue to grow, continue to look for opportunities. Um, and so goal wise, it's to impact the community and to improve cash flow into our home. So do you want to add to that? And one of the other things that is a, a, a big goal of ours is to really equip and empower other investors um, to be able to have success as far as the cash flow goals that their household needs, but also we can't do everything in our community alone or even in other communities. We coach actually across the country. We've coached um, from one coast to the other because every community has its own unique challenges. And so we really have a heart and a vision to expand 
being able to serve other investors. We have um, some online resources that we have for our private clients that we're expanding those and just teaching what we've learned along the way, the mistakes that we've made uh, so that other people can avoid those when, drying, when trying to buy a drug house. There, there are some real potholes that you want to, yeah, yeah, we've got some fun. FYI, there will be problems. <laughs> <laughs> some hard learned lessons uh, I think I think my favorite was when they blocked off the street with ARs that was a trip so there's definitely some interesting things that happen along the way and we want other investors to feel like they have tools and mentorship that we've been able to share too with how we have a resident training program equipping and looking at our residents you know the structure is of course, an asset when you purchase a property, a house, a multifamily, that is an asset. But the real asset is the resident who builds their life there and that that person mm -hmm. is a real person. And we have a lot of residents who stay with us uh, typically long term, three to five years beyond the normal average of a resident. And they even move up and expand their family, you know, as we let them move, you know, between residences. And they stay with us because we have a completely unique way of working with our residents and valuing them as part of the team and also equipping them with financial literacy, some different things that we do that are unique for our resident training program. So we take that very seriously and want to continue to expand that. We have some very fun, innovative ideas that we're testing and, and continuing to grow in that area so that both other real estate investors and even our own residents have tools that they can use and improve their own families as well. So I know, you know, with your story, the kind of the risks that you've taken, the process you've gone through is kind of part of why you have this success story. But I think it's also a testimony to your faith throughout it that you stayed true to it and continued when it was difficult and um, when you didn't necessarily see the end and, and how it was going to work out, you just stayed true to it. And I would encourage anybody who is listening to this, if you are in a stage where you're not sure how to get through this period you're in and you want some, you know, another perspective, you want somebody to look at your business or your situation from the outside in to reach out to Kurt and Elizabeth and, and get that insight or that coaching to help you get where you want to be. So um, if anybody's interested in that, what's the best way for them to find out or reach out to you guys? Um, they're welcome to email us. At, at the email address is coaching at runningcreekco.com. Um, they can also call our office line at 740-277-1485. Um, so either way is totally fine. We have a website they can check out, which is www.runningcreekco.com. We also run a local real estate group and we have a Facebook group called Profit with Real Estate. They can, by all means, join our Profit with Real Estate Facebook group, uh, check out some of the resources we have there. So we have tons of ways um, that they are welcome to reach out to us. And um, yeah, we're happy to chat about it. Awesome. Well, I know your real estate group, Profit with Real Estate, when I visited in January, and that was an awesome group of people, you know. Um, everybody was real interactive and willing to share and people at all different levels uh, yeah. in their investing careers. So 
Yeah, it's been a lot of fun because we've been able to get some big time speakers in, like uh, like Chad Harris came yeah, and spoke. And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was amazing. Actually, when you came and spoke, that was uh, yeah. there's a huge impact. Yeah, uh, awesome. People are still talking about they it. Are. They we are. moved everything online. Of course, everything is online for our networking. But yeah, so we'll have to get you back sometime. Yeah, anytime, gladly. Yeah, appreciate. It. I enjoyed it. So for anybody in the Lancaster area or Columbus area, definitely look up the group, reach out, get connected. Yeah, um, love that. It's a great network. So, all right. Well, I really appreciate you guys coming on today and sharing your story and your insights. I know it's going to help a lot of people and uh, really appreciate you guys. Well, thanks, well, thanks for, man. Thanks for thanks, having us on. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the True Wealth Investors podcast. Visit us at truewealthinvestors.com to find archived episodes with show notes and links mentioned in each episode. Be sure to click the subscribe button today and leave us a quick review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to share how the show is helping you along your real estate investing journey.